0: the following program is being brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio
2: Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, May 18th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, and I'm here with my guests, Deborah Portnoy and Kristen Selby Gonzalez. Deborah Portnoy is the talented artistic director of Mothers and Others on Autism, who has worked with actors for autism, running a social skills group for adults with autism. Her son, has been greatly helped by neurofeedback, and we're also joined by Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, the Director of Autism Education for Enzymetica. She has been using the Sunrise program with her son, Jackson, age 7, diagnosed for, uh, with autism. So, sorry, I think, Kristen, he's, he's 8
3: years old, right? He's 8 years old. Now, okay.
2: Seven, yeah. <laughs> and um, Kristen's also certified in the Wilberger Protocol, a form of sensory integration, and many other helpful modalities. Ladies, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you. Hi, Terry.
2: Thank well, you. let's start with Deborah. Um, I understand you've graciously shared your time on your way to an IEP <laughs> to talk with us. Yes. What do you think is the most important thing that you want in how teachers work with your son in a school setting? Well, my son
4: is in a classroom um, at an LA Unified School for, kids, for children with autism, but he also mainstreams in uh, with a typical third-grade classroom. You know, I think in terms of what he gets out of um, both both settings, uh, one, it's very important for him to be exposed to material at a grade level, an age-appropriate um, educational level, and that's what he gets out of the mainstreaming as well as, you know, modeling good behavior and how to be in school. And the other classroom, um, I I hope that the special education teacher at all times takes into account the goals set in the IEP and on a daily basis helps each individual child work towards you know, achieving those academic goals.
2: Okay, so you think he's getting uh, role modeling of good behavior through his class at the L.A. Unified School District?
4: Through the mainstreaming opportunity. It's challenging to um, have a classroom full of autistic children all with different needs, all with different um, behavioral needs, educational needs, sensory needs, and um, and then role model appropriateness of, of sitting and listening and being quiet and paying attention and very important skills for school. So um, I think it's important that he gets exposed to both. And um, as much as possible, I do support inclusion and mainstreaming. Actually, through Actors for Autism, got a grant this year to develop with my adult students who have autism uh, a show that goes into elementary schools and supports uh, the education and awareness effort so that everybody in in any public school can have an understanding of what autism is all about and be able to accept children, no matter what their um, academic functioning level, but accept them as part of their classroom and understand their needs may be different, but um, not be afraid to ask questions about it. Okay.
2: um, And your son Harry is nine years old? He's nine. I was just, I knew you meant mainstream, but I was just surprised to hear that you thought that, um his, uh, neurotypical peers were all, uh, providing good re- role modeling. I know my, uh, stepson's a teenager and sometimes I, you know, I, well, generally I think he's better behaved than, uh, many of his neurotypical peers, more manly. Well, yeah, and see,
4: therein lies the difference, and um, I do work with teenagers as well as the little ones and the adults at Actors for Autism, and there is a difference between how children are treated in elementary school versus teenagers. And there, there's, it, it, teenagers, it, the teenagers are tough for any child, but particularly autism, and I do feel that my son is just in third grade, but coming up soon, um, there be, there comes the whole, all the issues of bullying and being, ostracized and treated and segregated, and these are real issues for the teenage population of kids with autism, and we don't have a good school settings for these kids at this time. you know. And, and the elementary school is not great either. I'm just saying we, if we start young, the younger we start, hopefully the, the acceptance and tolerance carries over into the, into the older years and the
2: middle school and high school years. Now, do you feel that his teachers, um, the school staff, do you feel they're providing the most positive learning environment for him and the um, educational modalities or interventions they're using with him? Are they as positive as you would like?
4: Uh, actually, no. There's a great discrepancy between the way I work with my son at home and how and how they work with him at school. And because of that, I think he's not as successful as he could be. It's very, very hard to send him off every day and um, know that people have different ideas about how he's going to learn or how he should um, behave, and things that work for me at home and that are successful in our family are, are not, not so in the school setting. So there's a lot of challenges with that.
2: So what kind of educational behavioral communication modalities that you use at home are more successful with Harry?
4: Um Well, a couple of years ago, i've I've been using ABA applied behavior analysis since he was three up until seven. And I just um, felt like it had run its course in terms of the the skills he had gained, but there was a lot of gaps and a lot of um, issues with the relationships that weren't um, very uh, very well developed, relationships in his life, and his skills weren't generalizing to different settings. So, um, I began to look into what what could I do to help him that focused on the things that were important to him and help him learn through the things that he enjoyed rather than the things I thought it was important for him to know at that age. And when I started doing that, everything changed. When I started paying attention to the things he liked and taught him to um you know, build on the things he already liked by showing him that I liked them too, by caring about what he cared about, I opened the door for him to want to learn from me and through me. And he's learned all kinds of things. And while I'm doing biofeedback in my home, as you mentioned, and helping his brain, which has a lot of um, dysfunction. I mean, he has a lot of misfirings going on in the different parts of his brain that lead to regulation issues and sleep issues and emotional volatility and all kinds of um, behavior, sensory-seeking behaviors. Um, so the the neurofeedback's been helping that and working with him, allowing him to gain self-control. I think ABA is a lot about control, controlling him, and he has resisted that in the you know in the past couple of years, and made it very clear <laughs> that he needs some some amount of control in his life in order to grow and learn. And so that's what I provide for him.
2: And Kristen, how does what Deborah said about Harry's school career compare with what's happened with your son Jackson's to school or not to school decision?
3: Well, it's a huge uh, factor with my decision with my son because I absolutely agree that the school setting is just you know for some of our kids is just really uh, not the appropriate setting at different times and with my son we have been homeschooling him you know since he was two and a half years of age and we do do a program called the sunrise program and what Deborah was saying about you know really you know going after what her, you know her son likes and really trying to connect to him in that way is really the philosophy of the sunrise program they have a saying that says uh, the children show us the way in and then we show them the way out and by joining your child in their motivation and their interest is really the doorway for a lot of learning and we've seen Jackson really really thrive you know on that and my background probably some of you guys know if you've ever heard me speak is I used to be a kindergarten first grade teacher and And really, um, I I understand a little bit of that setting in the classroom and what's capable and what's what we are capable as teachers to do and what we're not capable um, as teachers to do um, with the rest of our children in that classroom. And so, when I had to make that choice for Jackson, it was. You know, he's doing so well here. How do I help his sensor levels to be able to be in a place where he can be in repair mode for a good portion of the time with his biomedical needs? And uh, so we built a center here at the house, and he is just thriving uh, here. And I look forward to the day when he can go to uh, a setting when he's ready for that.
2: So have you been doing the Sunrise program for about six years or...?
3: Yeah, over six years now and um, you know, and there's different levels of the Sunrise program as the child starts to develop and really start to emerge from their autism and we've seen that with my little boy. He had no language or eye contact when we first started and now he's talking in sentences and looking and learning to read and write and and it's very um, it's very exciting to see and what's really cool about what I personally think at least with my experience with the Sunrise program is that they have different uh, levels of uh, stages that you go through and you assess the child as you go and, and when you figure out where they're at, they have different things where you, you really go after different goals just like you would, um, I felt I still for never going to her IEP meeting today, but it's just the same thing of, you know, you're looking at those goals but you're going after the child and really uh, putting the curriculum, uh, you develop a social skill uh, relationship with that child with those goals. So I do, in a sense, IEPs by myself, though, um, every week almost when I'm charting him because they're constantly changing. I mean, my son is totally different next week um, than he was the week prior, and so I'm constantly having to tweak and uh, figure out what works best for him.
2: Oh, well, that's really cool. You know, you're really on top of his education, um, and you've taken the reins to, to do these, Uh, as you say, IEPs every week for Jackson uh, as, as opposed to waiting a year to see how he's doing and then making some minor
3: adjustments. Yeah, I feel for, I feel for Deborah today going to the IT, but I also, I really, um you know, celebrate her and so many other parents who are out there just really advocating the schools, you know, trying to get them what they need. And so, you know, again, I, I give you all my positive energy today, Deborah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely challenging.
4: Homeschooling for a lot of autistic kids at some point along their educational journey is really, really important. I've seen it. Uh, be very effective for a lot of kids because in the school setting they're dealing with so many, like you said, if your child has bi- any biomedical needs, sensory needs, I mean, the flu- especially public school, the fluorescent lights and the noise, and there's always things that are distracting and pulling them and and then all the social pressures. So you have um, a very uh, challenged child in a challenging environment and you're expecting them to learn at their, you know, highest capacity. So at some point, I, um, you know, I definitely see that homeschooling is an important aspect. But for everybody it's not practical because people have to work, and I'm a single mom and I have two children and there's all kinds of issues. So it's it's about making the best in the setting, in, you know, for your for your educational situation that you can. So going into the public school and trying to get as much, that you can for your child in terms of individual services and goals that make sense for them, that's important. But at the same time, the school is looking to keep the cost <laughs> down, especially in these financial times. So it's a battle. And it becomes not about necessarily what's in your child's best ne- interest, but what is most cost effective. And that's sad. <laughs> that's... But we definitely will keep um, working at home, working with the... Um, you know, the the system, as long as we have it, you know, a system in place in California, we have a lot of good services here and a lot of really um, uh, enthusiastic people out there who want to provide them. So there's so many different methodologies.
2: Well, I think uh, let's pick up with the sensory aspect when we come back from break. Uh, we will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Kristen Selby-Gonzalez and Deborah Portnoy. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymetica. We'll be right back.
6: come
5: Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Deborah Fortnoy and Kristen Salve Gonzalez, and before the break, Ladies, we were talking about how when you adapted your approaches at home to be more child-centered, your children were more successful. And also, you were mentioning how um, you were able to help your children uh, with their uh, self-regulation and their sensory issues. And, Kristen, how can something like an, an educational modality, something that's looked at as an educational modality like Sunrise, how can that help sensory issues?
3: Well, what helps, especially with Sunrise, with that that particular therapy, what I love about it is it really helps empower the parents on how to set up a distraction-free environment at their home. And as Deborah was saying earlier, just being in the classroom where you have maybe perhaps different lights that are, you know, um, bothering their eyes or different sounds, or for some of us we have the televisions on all the time or the computers on or all these toys that light up and are doing all these really cool, fun things. And what happens is... A lot of times we 're competing um, with that with our kids who are having serious sensory issues so So the same volume of the television is coming in at the same volume I'm coming in at the same volume as perhaps the lights are distracting them, how are we supposed to then sell human interaction where really that's what we're doing? I look at ourselves as the ambassador of the human world of basically, you know, telling them and showing them how exciting it is to communicate and to look at us and to talk to us and to play with us. And so the Sunrise Program really goes over those particular uh, things of how to set up a distraction. Free environment And so regardless if whatever, you know, let's say you're doing floor time or RDI or perhaps ABA, I think that all of those modalities could be done in such a distraction-free environment. I just happen to choose Sunrise because I feel like that works the best for my child's sensory needs and really keeps them in what I call that kind of like repair mode to where I have the least amount of distractions, the least amount of sensory, um, you know, I guess uh, inputs that are too stimulating for him, and then that way I can really create um, an environment that he really wants to look and really wants to talk and go in towards his motivations. right. We had
2: Kathy Cherry on last week, the principal from Purple Cherry Architects in Maryland, and um she was talking about the school environment as well and so you wouldn't have to ha- want to have the windows so low that um children are uh, looking out the window or there's things coming into their peripheral vision and you don't want to have the air conditioner spewing out some white noise and uh you know i can yes the fluorescent lights flickering uh another teacher coming in with loud perfume uh if that makes sense all these different things bombarding the child and distracting them so well, um, Even that,
3: even that—the smell of the classroom, the cleaners that these classrooms are using—that um, also could be a huge thing. Or the bell every time the bell rings, or the other kids talking in class. I mean, there's so many things that are factors that I think a lot of us don't even realize because we're so used to living through it. Now, Deborah, I know that uh, you
2: implemented an in-home neurofeedback program, and so if you could please first explain for our listeners. What neurofeedback is, how it helps the brain, and then why you feel that an in-home program—you went to those lengths, you um, got together the money, you know, financed it, got the equipment, and brought it in for your son. Why you felt that that was the best for him? Well,
4: um, a lot for the reasons that you were just talking about, which are about his ability to handle sensory overload and sensory stimulation when he's in unpredictable environments. So be any kind of clinic or doctor's office would um, be very difficult, very anxiety-provoking for him. And he also has aspects of hyperactivity. So a clinic that does neurofeedback, and let me just you know interject what neurofeedback is, it is reinforcing the parts of the brain through an auditory beep. Um, what, what the brain is doing right and it, it tells the, the parts of the brain that are misfiring to, to not pay attention to those. So you set the parameters through a, through a professional. You learn um, how to do it. I learned how to do it. But let's say you took your child into the clinic and your child had to sit still and have wires hooked up to their head, clips on their ears, and be pretty much stationary for at least 30 minutes in order to accomplish a session, in order to see if, if, if any results occur. That just alone right there is, is incredibly challenging for a lot of kids who cannot sit still, who do not like things on their head, around their ears. They are very sensitive to touch. Um, and then, of course, all the anxiety of being in a, in a new environment. Then you put on top of that... That this neural feedback, in my opinion, helps best when it's applied during the time that the brain is most imbalanced. You then use it to help restore balance, and then the person can learn to do that for themselves. If your appointment is at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday, that might not be the time that your child's most imbalanced, but if you can do it at home at the time that your child's in the middle of a temper tantrum, very hyper, needing to, my son, well, I can just tell when he's constantly going towards the swing or the trampoline or pacing around, jumping around. And if I do a biofeedback session, I can help calm him. Ironically, that means he has too much low wave activity and, and that's why he's needing to stimulate himself. But if he's angry, if, if his, you know, ability to, to take the fact that he can't watch his video or he doesn't have what he wants for dinner and he gets really angry and upset about that, I can help that with the neurofeedback in the moment and, and change his brain, um, the messages that his brain is receiving, so that the next time it's easier for him to cope because he, he can remember
2: what that felt like. And what kind of school reports did you start getting after you implemented neurofeedback?
4: Okay, so I've been doing it for two years. Within the first three months, we had incredible gains. With, you know, temper tantrums pretty much gone, non-existent. Went from ten times a day to once or twice a week, and they were very mild. Uh, he learned how to ride his scooter and his bike, and he learned how to, um, you know, uh, he did a dance in the school performance. He, there was really great, great gains in the first six months. They continue within the first year. Last year he had a great year in school and was able to participate. This year, however, because he didn't move on to a new program, he's in the same program, he has become bored. And as he's grown at home and as he's learned and as his brain has changed through um, the neural feedback, school now has become Very hard for him to even be there. I think because of the discrepancy and what the way in which we work and deal with, you know, life at home, and how they're handling or managing um, his day at school. Um, They're still ABA. I am this more child-centered approach. I mean, I learned to do the neural feedback through Lynette Louise, who came to my home, taught me how to do it, and. Showed me by pairing the neurofeedback with fun, playful activities and games, and her own fun personality, my son never was afraid to do it, and immediately I was able to get the benefits from it. Now there are times when um, I lose my way, and I just I'm in constant communication with Lynette, asking for advice this and that about the neurofeedback, as well as describing to her how I might have handled the situation as a parent, and she gives me advice that makes sense. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs somebody to that can, that can help them see a better way, even though I'm in the field. <laughs> a lot of different, you know, she, the one person who really helps make sense when I'm having a hard time um, figuring out what the next step is for my son.
2: And if any listeners would like more information about neurofeedback, I uh, just happen to have... An article by Dr. Rob Copen, who will also be speaking at Autism One that I can email you. I'm at toranga at autismone.org. Please pardon any delay uh, in my getting back to you uh, as I'm uh, flying out to the conference and so might not be answering email for a little while but certainly please do email me if you'd like to see a copy of that. Kristen, what kinds of things have you done for Jackson um, that are similar to what Debra's talking about, about helping Jackson in the
3: moment? Uh, well, we do a lot of, you know, things, obviously, like I was saying about with Sunrise, um, but also really doing a lot of sensory integration things. We do... Um, the listening program, um, which is an auditory integration therapy, and we do the bone conduction part of that. And we see a lot, um, we see a lot with Jackson with that. Um, it really soothes him and calms him. We do do the trampoline with him. We have a whole sensory uh, protocol put together. It's, we call it the sensory diet. From the minute he wakes up to the minute he goes to bed, there is something going on with his sensory throughout that day to help help him regulate himself. We also do, we've implemented things like Brain Gym and the Alert Program and Handle and really trying to show Jackson different things he can do for himself. So if we are at the grocery store or, you know, the market or, you know, just the store in general or out in the world and something doesn't make sense for Jackson, he actually goes for his own coping mechanism. So I will tell him, you know, take a deep breath. And he he now will tell me, "Mommy, you need to take a deep breath. Or he'll put mm-hmm. his hands together. Or he realizes how to help himself sensor-wise, which I just love to see him do because all of us, gosh, if any of us have ever been to, you know, the mall at Christmas time, we all know what that feels like, being a sensory overloaded. And, you know, for Jackson to be able to take that on himself is really, really important for me. So we do things in, in that capacity. And one thing Deborah was talking about, having a place to go. I do have to let people know, just because it has been such a huge part of my life, Um, they do have a program called the Startup Program um, that Sunrise offers, and if people want, they can go to their website, autismtreatment.org, so www.autismtreatment.org. I know the June startup is already filled, but I know they have availability for August. They only have them four times a year, and honestly, without that, that was, for me, the, the foundation, and even if you're you know, go, having your child go to school, you still need help on the weekends and, you know, during after school and holidays. This really helps empower parents on uh, where to start. So I wanted to throw that out.
2: Okay. And speaking of Debra, um, I should add that Deborah wrote an article – uh, that accompanied Dr. Rob Cobin's article for the Autism File magazine. So if you email me and ask me for that article, you'll see Deborah's article as well and how she helped Harry and how he moved forward. And so let's pick up with this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor Enzo Medica. We'll be right
5: back. <music>
6: calm.
0: Mark your calendar and set an alarm so you do not miss the highly acclaimed talk show, Holistic Living with Tina Marie and Todd Allen. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific for inspirational, oftentimes edgy discussions on all that life brings our way. With celebrity guests, world-famous authors, and everyday people dedicated to sharing positive, uplifting messages, Tina Marie and Todd Allen bring you the very best in talk radio discussions, guaranteed to make you smile.
5: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One,
1: a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry.
2: Back with Deborah Portnoy and Kristen Silva Gonzalez, and um, we've been talking about sunrise and neurofeedback. And these are really extraordinary women who are going to great lengths for their children who are moving forward. And before the break, Kristen mentioned 4,762 different <laughs> interventions, and now we're going to break it down. So let's start with the Wilburger
3: program. Okay. Well, the the Wilburger protocol is um, a protocol that you use um, a particular brush. Um, Patricia Wilburger does not like us calling it the brushing um, technique because she doesn't believe we're actually brushing. However, it is a particular brush, like a surgical kind of brush. And um, what happens for the child is for the children that are more sensory defensiveness, these are the kids that perhaps don't like the tags on the back of their shirt or maybe they they don't. Um, they don't like certain foods and textures, or maybe they don't like um, you to hug them, or maybe they like lots of squeezes and lots of pressure. So these would be for those kind of sensory defensi- defensiveness kind of children. And so we did that with Jackson, and we still do it from time to time, but we really did it exactly as the protocol sees fit for um, nine months straight, and we saw huge changes. I had a kid who would not touch the sand or who would not, um, you know, touch finger paints or would not even wear his clothes. And what the Wilburger protocol does is you do a particular brushing technique followed by joint compression, and what Wilbarger's um, theory is similar, I guess, to what neurofeedback does. But um, and perhaps Deborah could uh, talk more about that. But what Wilbarger talks about is that it actually helps the child's um, those, those misfirings that are happening. It helps to regulate that in the body, and the body then can uh, get more in balance with one another. And which is very exciting for us is when we did that for nine months. Um, Jackson started to really crave that. And the protocol that you need to do is you do it every two hours. And so having a homeschool program, it really fit into what we were doing because anyone that was going to work with Jackson, I trained them on how to, you know, do this technique, and we would do it every two hours. And, again, it's a particular brushing technique followed by joint compression, which is really important. And uh, that is, uh, you know, what helped Jackson taste. I believe what helps him as one of the steps trying new foods and he loves to finger paint now and he loves to get in the sand now and the shirt, I mean, gosh, the kid goes and picks out his own clothes now. So there was something going on with that. So that's the Wilburger uh, protocol and she's been doing it. When Jean Ayers um, first started, you know, start, that's what we think of as like our sensory integration mother. She basically uh, was working with Jean at the same time, but she broke away and did sensory defensiveness. Well, geez, um,
2: Kristen, you know, doesn't it just sound like when these types of behavior ha- uh, manifestations happen, we should just put a, uh, a behavioral program in place? Uh, <laughs> Deborah, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. What do you think about Ritalin and um, what the school's recommending psychotropics for kids who seem to be having behavior issues? What do you think about doing Ritalin versus doing what Kristen was talking about?
4: Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I've, I do believe that um, with all the interventions that are out there, many families choose to go to medication too, too soon, too early in their kids' lives, if, at, if it's necessary at all, um, usually due to pressure, maybe from the schools, other people working with their child that have a hard time understanding the behaviors. As we all know, behavior is a form of communication. And these children who have communication disorders are communicating the only way they know how. Either they've been taught it or they figured that much out themselves. But if it's not effectively working, the idea of medicating them, in my mind, doesn't, does not help them learn to communicate better.
2: <laughs> no, it's a, it's a Band-Aid, and it's a dangerous Band-Aid that can have side effects, and it doesn't address the root causes of um, what the kids are doing. And so, Kristen, it sounds like you made Jackson's life a lot more comfortable and functional um, by implementing something like the, the Will Burger Protocol. And what does the HANDLE program do?
3: The HANDLE program has a lot of techniques also. When I was talking about how Jackson goes to, you know, for his coping mechanisms or perhaps his self-regulation mechanisms, what you can call them, um, those are different things I've learned through HANDLE and the ALERT program. Or brain gym even, and what those do, they give the children different techniques they can do. So, you know, perhaps they're they use a hula hoop a particular way, um, you know, to where they can really get their sense of space. Some of our kids really don't understand their sense of space, so maybe these are the kids that are bumping into other kids and or bumping into the walls, or perhaps that they're they're so frightened because they, you know, they, they're they're thinking they're in too close of a space or too open of a space. So they have different things with like different hula hoops you can use or different find. Um, motor skills where you can do crazy eights or they have uh, different things that you can push um, certain areas of the body. They even have something called a crazy straw where trying to help with that oral motor because if our kids aren't really talking, they're really not using those oral motor skills, um, their, their, their mouth. And so a lot of our kids can't blow or they can't suck and they're having digestive issues. And so we're seeing that when we're putting these exercises together, not only is it helping you know with the blowing or the sucking um, but also helping with the language because you're developing those muscles in the mouth um, and so handle has a lot of those and Judith Bloomstone um, you know she's the one who developed that she's passed away sense, but she has um, a great book called The Fabric of Autism that if anyone ever wanted to check out, um, she actually lived it, and so she had a lot of sensory issues and was on the spectrum, and so you can kind of see it from her point of view, but we've seen lots of help with Jackson with that as well. Well, Kristen, you mentioned digestive issues, and ladies, do
2: either of you or both of you have your children on therapeutic diets, which are really foundational to um, uh, healing and uh, moving towards recovery for autism spectrum disorders? Y- yes, my son is on the gluten-casein-free diet. He
4: has a very limited intake of sugar, and um, he's been on that diet for quite some time, and when we've tried to remove uh, or to add in certain items to see if it's still necessary, um, the effects have led us to continue the diet, which really helps us get a clearer picture of what's going on. As he's able to you know, go to the bathroom on a regular basis, daily, it's so important, and um, the the diet since Harry, uh, Harry was uh, six years old, he's been on this diet. It's been very effective.
2: And Kristen, what dietary measures have you implemented?
3: Um, we've done we've done the gluten-free, casein-free, of course. Um, we moved on to the STD diet, which is a specific carbohydrate diet. Um, and then right now we actually do um, a combination of the specific carbohydrate diet with the body ecology diet. And then, of course, as you know, Terry, you know me, um, we actually um, implement enzymes because I think together you can't have diet without enzymes. But, um, yeah, definitely thinking that is the foundation for so much because you have to heal and feel that gut is my, my belief.
2: Now, why is it that um, some kids are able to be successful on GFCF and other kids need to move uh, on to specific carbohydrate diet or body ecology diet?
3: Um, are you asking me, today?
2: Whoever would like, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll answer first if that's okay, Deborah. Yeah.
3: Since I didn't move on, I that would be yours. <laughs> okay. Um, well, what my belief is is that what happens is that a lot of people will start with the gluten-free, tasting free diet, and they'll say, "Well, gosh, maybe I don't see a lot of results," or um, "and maybe the diet's not working." I don't particularly believe that. I believe that the diet will help. So many kids, and it just depends on which diet do you need because there's probably an additional culprit or another trigger that's happening. And so if you're a family out there that's looking at, you know, or believing that the diet, you see some results but you don't see enough, it probably means that there's something else out there. For example, if you're on the gluten-free, casein-free diet, like Deborah was saying, she tries to really limit sugars. So that would be another um, another level of the gluten-free, casein-free diet. Another level some people might choose to take might be to remove that soy, as some doctors believe that soy is recognized in the body as casein. Um, Another thing you can do is remove that corn. A lot of people and a lot of children have a lot of sensitivities to corn. Um, People sometimes rotate the potato and rice every other day, and then that will then start to eliminate even more, which then might take you to the specific carbohydrate diet. you might see a lot more um, success that way. And as you start learning about different foods, you might think, gosh, you know, fermented foods. Well, there comes the body ecology diet. So um, when you start really learning about foods and getting very, very excited and, you know, really seeing what benefits your children have and things that your kids can tolerate and not tolerate, that's really when we see people moving on to the next diets. And one thing I really recommend is to do a food diary because then you can really see the changes once you give food. And if you're a mom with autism, or at least if you hang out with me, um, you know that what you put in your mouth has a direct effect on how you feel, act, and behave. So when I say that, I mean, like, if you drink a glass of wine, we all know what that feels like. We all know that has a direct effect on, on how our brain feels the same way that um, our kids are doing. If our kids eat something, it has a direct effect on how they're feeling. So I think that food diary is really, really important. And, and to look at not only their tummies, but also looking at their behaviors, if they're tired, if they're hyperactive, if they have red cheeks, um, the little bumps they might get on their arms. These are all things that I think food is contributing to. I've always said that I don't understand it when schools... Um
2: Give for like uh, ABA reinforcers that they give the kids. um, Yes, I shouldn't name brands here, but um, little candies, (laughs) little candies with different colored dyes on them, or that contain casein or gluten or high sugar, and then you know you might get compliance uh, with your. With your discrete trials for a few minutes, but then you, you have the rest of the day, you know, swinging off the chandeliers, basically. And then the schools are patting themselves on the back for controlling behaviors they created by giving <laughs> kids foods that they're sensitive to: gluten, casein, sugar, dyes, um, etc.
4: So. Oh yes, don't get me started on that. That is very frustrating. I do want to make one point in general, though, about moving on from one thing and another, because I think it's very important. As somebody who started working with adults and, you know, have a child, also works with teenagers now, I see that is, if we ever get stuck in that one thing works and, and nothing else, then there are so many options out there, so many different things for parents to try. People are having success with all kinds of different treatment options. It's important to, to research, to be educated, and then to know what, your, what works for your family, for your individual family. And to be able to be able to take a step back and say, I tried this, I thought it was going to work, but it, I guess it didn't, and move on without feeling like a failure because y- you had that idea to go that direction and it didn't work out. I mean, that's an example even- of, of ABA versus this child center approach. ABA does work for some kids. It does help gain skills. There's no doubt about it. Some kids thrive with the Sunrise Home program. Other kids do fine in public school. Other fun- and it's all a matter of really finding what, what, is, what works best for your kids.
2: Right, respecting the child and respecting the parents. And with that, we're going to get a break. We'll be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back.
5: More live better voice America health and wellness
2: We're back with Kristen Salbi-Gonzalez and Deborah Portnoy, and before the break, we were talking about the importance of diet as foundational to uh, moving forward, healing and recovery for autism spectrum disorders, which often, you know, have underlying physiological issues. So just like any other patient, you would want to address those issues. Um, I would like to let listeners know that we will be having a nutrition track on Friday Wednesday at Autism One, that's um, next Wednesday a week, and then our cooking day, the Art of Cooking Special diets, our culinary track on Thursday. So before the break, we were talking about the importance of therapeutic diets, and during the break, we were talking about how autism moms can balance it all and hold it all together, you know, hauling in equipment and uh doing a home program and, you know, having a career. And, um, you know, we basically said we hold it together with wine and coffee, and so that leads us to Spa Night at Autism One, and that will be on Friday evening, uh, May 28th, and uh, we hope to see you there in Chicago at Spa Night at the Autism One conference. So, Kristen, you had also um, become...
3: Uh, trained in the ALERT program, and what's that about? The ALERT program is just, it's actually those, if you ever get an opportunity, if anyone out there ever gets an opportunity to see um, the ALERT program or, you know, go to one of their workshops, it is probably the funnest workshop I have ever been to, the funnest training. I've done it twice now. Um, they it's all about sensory integration, and it's about different things that you can implement uh, in your home, but also really for a lot of teachers out there, and me being an ex-teacher that I used to be, um, I would have loved to know this program when I was uh, teaching because it helps with um, different things they can do in the classroom. So, for example... If you have a child who can't sit still in classroom, classroom and, and all you ever get are those notes home that say, you know, Johnny won't sit still and he's hitting somebody, you know, he's hitting Sally over the head or pulling her hair or, you know, not focusing, not paying attention. What they really talk about is a real practical ways that don't cost a lot of money, which we all love, of um, things you can do in the classroom. So one thing they talk about, is that they have I thought it was really cool and so many schools around the country are doing this now um, they take tape and they put it across the, the back of the classroom and they have boundary zones um, where if a child and this is probably more for our high functioning children or our ADD or ADHD children um, but where the child then can have the opportunity if they're staying within their boundaries to get up and walk and pace back and forth in the classroom so that way they can take care of their bodies um, find a way to help self-regulate but then also also not disturb the classroom at the same time. And they do fidget toys, and they do different tea stools, and they really help. They go in a classroom, they look at all those lights and figure out ways to get different lighting, and it's just a really, um, I feel like a really great tool to have on your tool belt or in your tool chest if you're a teacher. All right. And, Deborah, did you want to
2: add any closing remarks to things that you think are useful for home or school before we start talking about what you all be doing at the conference?
4: <laughs> um, well, I think it's important to carve out time to spend with your kids at home, whether it's during the day, if you can homeschool, or after school, making that time to connect with your child and help them learn to grow because your relationship with your child as a parent is the foundation. And, and that if we as parents know how to help our kids, even if we have to search through a maze of professionals out there to, to, to find the support network that we need to get that help, you know, at the level that we need it, it has to start at home. It has to start where parents are empowered that they are able to help their kids. They understand autism. You know, we're the ones putting the pieces of the puzzle together, the professionals, Many other professionals are, you know, related in the field. As We all, three of us, have children with autism. Now we've taken that on as our life's work. But um, it has to start with a drive to understand your own child and to get them the help that they need.
3: Very good. Kristen, did you want to add to that? I just absolutely agree. I think uh, Terry and I were having a conversation a while back, and, um, you know, I, I, I told her that somebody had asked me to train somebody in autism in four hours, and I just laughed, <laughs> so, because it's it's one of those things where if you don't eat, breathe, and sleep, it, I don't know how you train it. So I absolutely agree. I think it starts at home. We know our kids better than anyone else. Don't If you're a parent out there, don't get, you know, don't become fearful if somebody has a whole bunch of letters after their names, mm-hmm. um, because, basically, you know, you you have a PhD in your child, and whatever feels right, I would say follow your gut. Yeah, I call
2: uh, MD uh, mothers determined. So oh, love <laughs> mother's I love
4: it. I love it. So you're going to mention why we're going to so what we're doing at the conference what I'm doing at the Autism One conference.
2: Right, Deborah Portnoy will be introducing and talking about the movie The Autism Whisper that will be shown on the Thursday night, May 27th and the Friday night, May 28th. And did you want to tell us a little bit about that, Deborah?
4: Yeah, it's actually not a movie. It's a pilot episode for a reality TV show that um, you can watch the promo on the uh, Deborah Portnoy YouTube channel, and right now we are trying to, we negotiations with a network to pick up this show, which will bring our families' struggles with autism into people's homes across the country on a weekly basis. Um, as the person I spoke of earlier, Lynette Louise, who mentored me and showed me neural feedback, would enter uh, a person's home like the uh, super nanny, but she comes with this modern technology that in in the hands of the parents, we can feel hopeful that our children are getting, you know, a treatment modality that's out there that isn't accessible for for many of us. Many of us that are kids could not go to the clinic to get neurofeedback. This is a great way to bring it to the home. And while while Lynette is showing families how to use it to help their child and themselves, all the things she does in her interactions with the kids are, are role models for every family out there in a, to deal with and interact with their child in a positive way. She, she comes in like a breath of sunshine and helps you appreciate the things about your kid that other people are telling you are wrong. We need to change that. We need to flip that around. <laughs> we need to stop looking at the problems and start you know, seeing our children for who they are and, and making them a part of the solution.
2: Absolutely. And Kristen, you're doing some positive training at the conference. Um, Would you like to tell listeners about Autism Hope Alliance and that you're having an AHA
3: Heroes training? Sure. Um, We're doing um, Autism Hope Alliance is a nonprofit and it's one of the first nonprofits uh, that sprung from the health food community. And so very, very excited about that. we're going to be doing a training where we have applications there um, at the conference. We're going to be doing a, a training for families, um, you know, for moms and dads who really want to go out into their community but maybe don't have a lot of time to do one-on-one mentoring, but they have, you know, um, time to maybe do one lecture a year or they want to, to help with fundraising or, you know, something like that where we're going to train them on how to talk to their communities about things like diet, uh, biomedical, sensory integration, um, Uh, the um, living toxin-free play therapy. And so they'll get all of those tools in a sense, like in a toolbox, when they want to go out to their communities, whether it be a support group or, you know, their church or maybe just their local community in general. So that will be Sunday at 10 a.m. And I'm also doing a talk um, called Sensory Savvy 101, and um, a lot of the things we talked about today, i um, just going more in depth about, you know, different things you can do at home or in the classroom regarding sensory integration. Okay,
2: and that talk is on Friday
3: at?
2: 1.45. And
3: Tom's talk? Oh, and then Tom Bohager—he is the owner and founder of Enzymatica. He's talking, I believe, at four o'clock on Friday, um, and he's going to be talking about how enzymes and diet um, work together synergistically in the body because we really believe that you can't have one without the other.
2: All right, thank you for sharing that information with us. And yes, that is four o'clock. So, Deborah and Kristen, thanks for sharing today. How you've been helping your children with our listeners? Thanks, Terry. Thanks. And as you heard, Kristen and Deborah will be on hand at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2010 Conference, Autism Redefined, next week, as well as about 170 other informative presenters. Please visit ww.autism1.org. Please check out the enlightening new book, Callous Disregard, by Dr. Andrew Wakefield at www.callus-disregard.com. There will be a book signing with Dr. Wakefield for Callous Disregard on Saturday, May 29th, in the Generation Rescue Lounge at the Weston O'Hare. To our listeners, for questions about this show, please email me at tiaranga at autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymatica, And to our listeners, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week in Chicago.